Good evening, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. I'm your host, Beth, and unfortunately, my co-host, Sam, uh, we, we both had some uh, trials and tribulations with air conditioning in the throes of the dog days of summer. And uh, I, I, for one, am uh, nearly being driven to insanity by the heat. And But luckily, we have a guest here today, tonight, that is willing to hop in and uh, help me out with this episode. You know her as Starchild, which I have referred her to her as several times, but uh, the lovely, the wonderful Veronica, I call her the Vster, Gagan. Hello. <laughs> happy to happy to fill. Yeah. Was, um, a very last minute thing, but yes, I am here. Yes, I, um, and we appreciate it. We definitely do. If anyone wants to leave a review, um, talk about some Andrew Garfield, I am here. You know, <laughs> you I know, am ready. Andrew Garfield <laughs> gave us a really good review on Apple iTunes. Oh gosh, I wish that. Would no, be he did. <laughs> Somebody tagged it, Andrew Gar. Yes, and I don't know who it was, but I knew it was one of your friends. Had to have been. I just love him, you know. Yeah. Um, so we're doing the film Aliens. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. And again, uh, I know Sam really wanted to be here, but like I said, things have been crazy. And uh, when you have no AC and you live in hot and humid climates, you just want to gouge your own eyes out. So, <laughs> um, but, but I'm really glad that Veronica, you're stepping in tonight. And I started out earlier by asking you, uh, I think I'd asked you if you'd seen both films and you said you had, and it had been a while since you saw them. Yeah. And, like, um, my friends and I, like in high school, loved like scary movies. Like that was our thing. So I'd seen it, but not for a hot minute, for at least maybe four or five years, I want to say. Right. So you've seen both. Did you yeah. go any further than than Aliens? Mm -mm. Just Alien one, Alien, and then Aliens. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I I asked you if you remember like the basic plot because I made you rewatch this film, obviously, but. I asked you the basic plot of Alien, and and this is what I wanted to ask you. When you were watching Alien, and I was saying, like, it was kind of like a guess or a whodunit, but not a whodunit, but like who's going to bite it type yeah. of movie. And did you think, was it a surprise to you as Ripley, in, in watching Alien as the Ripley character kind of emerged as a leader? Or as being potentially, quote unquote, the final girl in that movie? Not necessarily. I love a good early 80s action <laughs> blockbuster. Like, those are, like, my favorite types of movies. And from the start, I could tell it's like, oh, pretty ingenue. Oh. <laughs> you know? And so I, I had suspected it. Um, I didn't suspect the order of the others, that's for sure, but definitely, I, I had a hunch she was going to survive. 
See, I'm thinking, okay, when Tom Skerritt's character, when the captain bites it, I thought, oh no, they're done for. That was, okay, that was shocking to me by far. Yeah. That but... was alarming. <laughs> well, like, it's also Sigourney Weaver, you know? But she was nobody at this time. When Alien was made, she was rel a relative unknown. No, I'm not saying notability. I'm saying, like, ingenue vibes, you know? Oh, okay. See, this is something that's interesting to me because back then, I don't think we would have had that sense of predictability that I think your generation has. Whereas maybe you guys are so schooled in the themes of cinema in a way. I don't know. I just think cinema has come so far and it's really hard to be unpredictable at this point. And I think that's why act or not actors, but directors such as like the Jordan Peels of the world and like um, Ari Aster, like those types of directors are doing so well because somehow despite decades of cinema, they still remain to be unpredictable. Oh, yeah. And that's why their movies are so popular. Mm -hmm. So uh, getting into aliens, some interesting things that I want to set up here. The first film was directed by Ridley Scott. And it's widely regarded as a masterpiece. Yeah, and, it's like uh, his magnum opus, I would say. And see, he probably wouldn't really think that, but I think no, it's his. But I think for society, <laughs> yeah. easily one of his top three films ever. You know, Blade Runner probably being number one for me. See, I'm not a Blade Runner fan. I could. The original. The... Yeah, like I saw the original because I saw Love Ryan Gosling, and so he was in the new new one. Right. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and watch. I just, not my thing. Really? The original? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Wow. What about uh, Thelma and Louise? He See, directed that. I love, that. love Thelma and Louise. It's a beautiful film, too. That, that's probably number three for me. It would you be. Do that movie. It's a good movie. That's a really good movie. Alien, Blade Runner. And Thelma and Louise probably, and I don't know necessarily if, if it should be in that order, but those would probably be my top three. You have kind of a, a small cast in Aliens or in Alien, and you have Ridley Scott. And there there's we're not we're probably gonna do Alien down the road, Sam and I will do, because I think she agrees with me that we in terms of alien versus aliens, we prefer alien to aliens. Not that we don't like aliens and don't have fond memories of it but um uh, it's a different film would you agree completely I different would, experience yeah with here's here was my big thing when i'm watching alien i feel like the stakes are higher which like i know in a technical standpoint like the stakes of aliens are very high because mm -hmm. it's like they're trying to like get control of this terraformed planet right but um like just watching alien like you feel it like the adrenaline and i think it's that concept of isolation it was described as sort of the the haunted house in space 
that's how it was originally described. And I think that's kind of dismissive of it. I think it's a much better film than just your typical, the old dark house floating in space. Yeah, I think it's more than that. But from a general standpoint, I would say that's pretty appropriate. Just because, like, the thing that makes things scary is, like, you're by yourself, you know? Right. The isolation. The whole, like, in space, no one can hear you scream concept. <laughs> tagline. You know? <laughs> it's like, the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> the score was done by um, Jerry Goldsmith. The reason why I bring up his name and the score, the musicals, what did you think of the score in Alien versus Aliens? Um, I, I liked them both. Um, I felt like they took very different approaches. Just because I feel like the non-diegetic score in Alien is, it's like the score of Aliens feels more like an action movie, you know? Right. Like the score of Aliens like freaked me out, genuinely. Especially those scenes The score of Aliens? No, Alien. Yes. Yeah. Like freaked me out, genuinely. But... I don't know. I don't like. I just didn't get that same suspense feeling. It felt very like actiony. Like, oh, we're gonna go do this. Oh, know? the drum, the drum beats, and and yeah. watching, yeah. watching, watching it to the military drums, right? So watching it through uh, this this last time, I maybe I always knew those those drum beats were always there. And this time watching it through, I felt like it's a little extra, as you guys would say, the 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 war drums, the militant drums. It's very militant. Yeah, the you know the Marines are coming in, and and I almost felt like, well, we we can talk about it in a minute. The reason why I brought up Jerry Goldsmith is, a about a year before this film comes out, there is another film, that you probably haven't seen. I probably told you at least five times that hey veronica if you ever watch it because for me this film is is sort of the uh forerunner of characters like an ellen ripley and that is the film coma starring jean via bougeot and michael douglas and the score was done by jerry goldsmith and if you listen to you can go on youtube and listen to what's called the coma suite mm-hmm. for that that you know the soundtrack for that film very very similar those eerie kind of strings the creepy strings you hear in alien discordant uh piano chords <laughs> it's, it, it's just very like, it sounds like like some like avant-garde choral piece like yes <laughs> yes but didn't didn't goldsmith also do like a lot of star trek music Am he had yes he has done he's a very very famous composer yeah. he he wasn't he was not happy, I guess, with the work. He, he, the thing that he said in, in the making of Alien, the thing he said that he was disappointed in is he did some really nice melodic scoring for Alien that they didn't use and that they basically, they liked his creepy stuff better, his more avant-garde, strange sounding music. And I think he was a little disappointed because people Aww. seemed to like his strange stuff. And not his more melodic stuff. So, like other opportunities. I oh hope. my God, he scored so many films. It's yeah, crazy. And and 
television series, but he does have, I have to agree with you. He does have a gift for that unnerving sound uh, to kind of build suspense. And uh, James Horner does the soundtrack for Aliens. But I think, I think what really works or what, what I, the tune that I always remember for Aliens is that, that, that sound in the very beginning where the salvage crew kind of comes across the ship. Yes. Ripley's ship. The strings. That the dying, they sound like dying, fading away strings. I love yep. that. Very, thought, very memorable. Yeah. One thing I, I definitely thought, I literally have right here, opening credits score. Um, <laughs> it's, beautiful. It's very, it adds like a very, it adds another layer. Um, but he also did, um, Oh, he did the composition for A Beautiful Mind. And I love that score. I think I could listen to it for hours. That's uh, I love that film, by the way. I love A Beautiful Mind. And I, like, that, the quality of just, like, sense of etherealness and transcending. Yeah, if you could describe that that music at the very beginning of Aliens, it is a transition and it is sort of, transcending transcending one part of this hero's existence into mm-hmm. another and i i was telling you earlier that if if this is the if aliens is what makes ripley a legendary action hero then alien would be like the origin story right mm-hmm. yeah i would say so so james cameron um <laughs> what are, did you what are thoughts on james cameron have you discussed <laughs> that on here yet because i have thoughts we we have made <laughs> sam and i, I i'm gonna just say real quick and then you you feel free to elaborate i'm just gonna mm-hmm. sit back and let you go sam and i i think have some thoughts about james cameron i know that sam sam really appreciates terminator terminator to the terminator um franchise solid picks yes totally agree I I think I enjoyed Terminator 1 more than Terminator 2 and then the subsequent movies after that. And I certainly enjoyed this film and other films where James Cameron lost me was Titanic. I, and I would, I would think, I don't want to speak for Sam, but I have this feeling that Sam would on, on some level agree with me. Here's the thing. If you look back in James Cameron's repertoire (laughs) one of the first big movies he did was piranha 2. (laughs) this canadian man i (laughs) i have some know what he eats in the morning because it's just okay piranha 2. how do you get from there to terminator and i don't know I, i think he's really good with adapting sci-fi concepts oh wow that's a great observation but when it comes to outside the sci-fi sphere like titanic is when it just starts to fall off what was not that we're doing titanic but what was your big big like your big issue with titanic oh my gosh so many issues 
I just have a lot. Okay. <laughs> like, I like maybe maybe opinion, I don't like Titanic. I okay. don't like the movie. Maybe Sam and I will have you back when we do Titanic. Would that I be just, fun? Yeah. Yeah. I could I could raft. 100%. But like even like Avatar and he did um oh my god. Oh, there was like a new movie. It was like Alita Battle Angel. Like I didn't even think that was bad. But as soon as he gets into like realism, I just it's not giving. It's really not. You were talking to me about how important Avatar, how important a film was that film was to you Avatar in your child when you saw it when you were very like the, young. First of all, it was the first like PG movie I saw, I think. And the theaters were packed. Like everyone went to go see Avatar, and it was like the thing that everyone was talking about at school. And you loved the film. I loved it. I thought it was super cool. It was like about ecology and all that good stuff. Very Gen Z like thing to love. (laughs) Is the ecology and Pandora? And Pandora, (laughs) yes. For those listening, we are uh, Disney annual pass holders, and we love the pandora theme park yes i have an idea why uh james cameron became so successful and was able to do do all that besides being very talented but he also had a very good partner in filmmaking in gail ann hurd he had written the script for terminator they were making terminate terminator and he was directing terminator uh, the rights, or rather, whether or not they were going to continue with a sequel for Aliens or for Alien, was it was kind of embroiled. You had two of the writers for Alien that were kind of battling with Fox. Yeah, there was or, like a big lawsuit, right? Yeah, big lawsuit. Went on for like a few years. <laughs> and it was like, is this going to be greenlit or not? And finally, as that was getting worked out, uh, Cameron had done a treatment, I guess, 90 pages, and they really liked it, and they they were going to do it, still hadn't resolved the legal issues, and I think the head of the studio changed a couple of times, too, if I'm not mistaken, but long story short, they got, uh, when Terminator wound up being a success, because they weren't completely sold on whether or not Cameron was going to direct, and because Cameron had expressed that he wanted to direct this film. Yeah. And also Galen Hurd was sort of also advocating on the back end. Like he's certainly capable of directing this film. He wants to direct this film and sort of negotiating that for him is when they decided they would just go <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> strong arm tactic. We're just going to go get married. Fine. Make up your mind. Um, and then they also had to fight for uh, for keeping Sigourney Weaver, which Cameron and Galen Hurd were, were very, very strongly behind. Yeah, they were adamant about keeping her. She wanted more money. She only got $35,000 for Alien. And then she demanded one plus million dollars uh, back in 85, right? Was when they would have been filming this. Yeah. And she deserved every penny, frankly. <laughs> I, I, I would absolutely agree with that. It's not shocking, though, because it grossed like yeah. in the mid 100 mils. Yeah, know? and they had this weird way of calculating a film's financial success so they they had actually in terms of their budgeting they argued to uh because cameron cameron was also you know wanted a bigger budget 
Weaver wanted more money. So Fox is trying to argue in this really bizarre way that no, we actually lost money on Alien, which was not the case at all. And and they they should have known that they were going to <laughs> make more money with Aliens. In fact, part of the pitch to studio executives, Cameron wrote the word alien and then put a dollar sign at the end of it aliens <laughs> to kind of get the point across i mean yeah yeah the budget was like 18 million i think for the for aliens and right gross like crazy and heard heard kind of came in this is how good heard graduated from i believe stanford with BA and I think she had, she, she had like a double major. She had com communications, uh, like a minor in political science and then something else. I'm, I'm not really sure, but she went to work as an executive. I, I was reading what she studied and I'm like, oh my God, this sounds like somebody I know <laughs> a lot, just like someone I know. And Heard went on to work as an executive assistant for Roger Corman. And if anyone knows, if you know anything about, especially horror films, adventure, uh, sci-fi fantasy, Corman is, is the king of sort of low budgeted, but successful, commercially successful films in a lot, a lot of great films in Roger Corman's history. So he ran New World Pictures. He was the president of New World Pictures. And so she she studied studied under and, and she'd gotten some you know promotions and stuff so by the time she's working with cameron she's really cut her teeth on some legitimate projects under corman's to you know tutelage but she learned a lot just to give you some idea some of the projects that she's been involved with since terminator moving forward 1984, she does Terminator. She does 1986. She's a producer for Aliens. 1986, or no, sorry, 88, I believe, Alien Nation. 89, Cameron's Abyss. 1990, Tremors. She did 1991, Terminator 2, which was a huge box office hit. 1998, Armageddon. I mean, she's like exec producer or producer on all of these projects. She knows wow. how to make those kind of films how to get the money, how to get the right people together, and how to bring the budget in. Fox came to Cameron and they said, there's no way you're gonna do this film, the film that you wanna do for 30, for less than $35 million. Mm -hmm. Heard came back to them and said, I think we're gonna need about 15. They went like 3 million over budget. But in, in, in terms of filmmaking, I think that's that's a pretty good dialing in of your budget. For the film and that they got, do you know what I mean? Definitely not uncommon to go a couple mil over budget. That's right. Like traditionally, uh, production companies will underestimate. And I'm sure the executives were like, "It's gonna cost us thirty-five million dollars to make the film you want to make, James Cameron." But I would say that uh, Galen Heard probably had a, a really good idea of how much that movie would cost and got pretty close to the dollar amount. And then uh, I also forgot, Gail Ann Hurd is one of the exec producers behind one of the most successful series in the 2000s, Walking Dead. Oh, so <laughs> the woman knows. It was good. Yes. The, the woman knows a thing or two about making um, really interesting 
uh, sci-fi and uh, horror type of genre films and television. Yeah. So let's talk about the film, Veronica. This is where I go. Go for it. You can start with cast or you can start with the film itself or you can start anywhere. I don't know. I think you should start and then I will follow. Let's let's just go through the cast. Uh, much bigger cast than Alien. Sigourney Weaver, obviously, is in the starring role. But then we have all these other great actors. Sigourney Weaver, Paul Reeser, who uh, winds up, he's done films, but most notably um, was in a successful series with Helen Hunt called Mad About You. It was really popular through the 90s and I think early 2000s. Lance Henriksen, guy's done a ton of movies. He plays Bishop, the android. And he was also in a somewhat successful series that was a spinoff of X-Files in the late 90s. Michael Bain, who was the uh, other starring role in Terminator. He plays the good guy chasing after the Terminator yeah. that's trying to, you know. And he was also in Greece. Found that out. And I found out he was a, like a last minute addition. One of the actors uh, that was going to play play Hicks apparently for some reason could not uh, fulfill his obligation to the film. Uh, Cameron just sort of like on, you know, at last minute called up, called up uh, Michael Bain, Bain and said, can you help me out? And he jumped on the plane and was like, yeah, sure. Carrie Henn plays Newt. Grew up later, decided she did not want to get into acting at all. And I think she's a school teacher. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. And then our favorite, uh, if Sam were here, Bill Paxton, who uh, is a wonderful wow. actor, been in some really good uh, projects. And Apollo did, did, 13, Twister. We love Twister. We twi love Twister. <laughs> with Helen Hunt. <laughs> he, he's in a very good movie with... I believe so. And then he was also in a series in HBO that I, I absolutely love. The series yes. Big Love. And I don't, have you ever watched Big Love? I have not, but I've heard very good things about it. It's really great. It's not, yeah. I didn't want to check it out, but it came on when, when the series started, it came on right before Deadwood and I was a big Deadwood mm, fan. Okay. And it was much better than I expected. And the acting's superb the writing's great and there's like six seasons and it is such a binge worthy series i would highly recommend it if you guys ever want to go back and find something binge worthy to watch it's a great series oh my god uh tombstone too yes yes he was in tombstone good eye and i'm trying to think of billy bob thornton he's in a great film and i think he was one of the producers for a film called a simple plan and that is one of the best sort of like suspense, keep you guessing type of films. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And it, it, it keeps you on edge to the very, very end. You don't really know what's going to happen. That is a and it's, very good movie. It, I wish have you seen it? Talked about it. Yes, I do. I wish people had talked about it more. It's a very satisfying movie to watch. Mm -hmm. A Simple Plan is a very satisfying movie to watch. And you're like, whoa. Uh, so Bill Paxton, it's very, um, it's very late nineties, but it's really good. Yeah, it is. It's very satisfying sort of suspense to keep you guessing type of film. So 
I forgot the name of the actress that plays Vasquez. Oh my God, Queen. Jeanette Goldstein. That's her. So Jeanette Goldstein, who is not Latina, but uh, it it did. She was being very modest. She's like, I I got I got the job because I was working out, <laughs> and I was big. And she's she's actually not a very tall person. She's short. She looks like she's about five 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 maybe. She said, you know, I I, I think I largely got the role because of my physique, but then she also um, she made sure. She really wanted to um, get the accent down, the pronunciation down, and just hung out with people that she knew that were in the Latino community and wanted to get a real feel so that she had sort of that sort of L.A. Latino authenticity. She wanted. That's very. Um... This is an 85, 86. Yeah, so she was very woke for the time. I think it's very respectful. She's like, yeah. I'm, I'm portraying someone who I am not. I am a Jewish a woman, Jewish and, and Caucasian. And she really won. And they actually did, she did wear contacts. They, they did have her dye her hair. So, yeah. So she was really trying to make an effort to, to at least present authentically. It says a lot about her character as far as um, her sincerity as an actor too, I think. I get it. So, I've already introduced the cast. So we've discussed the cast. We know the director. We know who does the score. We know Gillian Hurd is involved. And uh, so let's just get into the the film. Um, you had asked, I believe, um, about the, the salvagers and about mother was it motherhood what led into that discussion yeah so i was first asking about um specifically like okay the beginning of the film sigourney's in her little her little cryo chamber and, the <laughs> very, and she wakes up very sci-fi very sci-fi sci-fi vibes um and burke comes in and like briefs her a little bit and is like you've been gone for 57 years but that scene transforms into ripley's nightmare like one of ripley's nightmares right. that she's been having right and i was just curious like is that true it is true okay so she had been in he he tells her look it's really lucky that we that this salvage team just picked you up you've been drifting for 57 years now at the time of alien it was they were supposed to only be about 10 months or six months mm -hmm. from home so she drifted she he said we you drifted through our core system so I took that as meaning you not only did you sail to our solar system, but you went on straight through. Okay. And they, now you've been retrieved and now you're here. And then she finds out essentially that she's outlived her daughter because she has one daughter in the original script. She has a daughter. And actually some of the backstory is she wanted to take a leave of absence from Weyland Yutani. They, Okay. Would not give her the leave, so they she was in contract because she was Waylon Utani. You're supposed to think she's a part of the merchant sort of space navy. Oh, okay. And, um, so she negotiates her contract. They're going to give her leave after she does this one run with the Nostromo. 
Okay, oh, so okay. when she's coming back from this, she's supposed to be able to have time with her mm -hmm. daughter and time on leave, some substantial time. Yeah, I wish that was more of a highlighted point in the final cut, just because I feel like that would explain a lot of her instincts towards Newt. Right. And because with Newt, she's introduced, we have a child character, and immediately she takes on like like a semi-maternal, border maternal role to her. And I just feel like that's kind of glossed over a lot. It's somewhat unexpected. You don't you don't immediately think of her in maternal terms. No. And it, originally it was in the script, but it went too long. And we were talking about this also. They fought to have it in there for a longer film. Mm -hmm. Fox didn't think that it, they thought two hours would be too long. I think they came in at two hours and 12 minutes. And then you and I were talking about how we don't think anything of it now if an action film no. is two and a half hours like all the new action movies the marvel movies the star wars movies they're at least two hours like that's normal mm -hmm. like that is the that's the the bar right and so that, like even like mini series on netflix like stranger <laughs> things one of the episodes is like two and a half hours long that's a movie <laughs> and it's just shocking that like there was such like pressure on getting it it was like an hour and a half an hour cut and a down. half an cut hour 45 right like don't that's not what we as consumers want but that's a whole another tangent yes that is that is definitely an entirely different tangent well after that she's briefed or debriefed yeah what did you think about the briefing and the really bad uh <laughs> business attire the horrible I, business attire. When I think like sci-fi debriefing, I don't think of like disheveled suits and like they <laughs> just look like like dingy, like ill-fitting suits from Walmart uh, men's 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 department. Like it gives like your first homecoming dance and you weren't planning on going, but pretty <laughs> girl asked you out and you're like, Dad, I need to borrow your suit. They just seem like a uniform almost. They're no. all different colors of, but hear me out. They all have that weird collar thing going on. Yes, they do. Which was, I think, a a, a stab at something different. And because I enjoy the movie so much, I just kind of ignore that that was that was a reach and a miss. I agree. So. And that the the female executive for Waylon Yutani is dressed identically to the, I don't think that's a I took that as this is not a, a gender identity statement. This is this is in terms of this world, this universe, this is how you're supposed to dress. It was just in sad the because it's fifty-seven years. <laughs> like you would expect it's just like so a ugly. little progress, like maybe just a hint of femininity anywhere, boy no. or girl or whatever gender. Like it's it's just not it giving. was it was just bad. And and it's weird because like Ripley's dressed like normally, like slacks yeah. and a you know, button down shirt. Yeah. Just uh, casual. Like Yeah. Yeah. So we were we were talking about how everything in this universe, alien and aliens, is, is space is grimy. It's grimy. It's industrial. It's dirty. And, and yeah, go that, ahead. Like, like, yeah, with a lot of the other sci-fi movies at the time, you've got like your Star Wars and Star Trek franchises and similar 
stuff, it's very sterile. Like everything looks very clean, very sterile. But like, even with like the topics they're concerned about, like look at aliens, it's about like other life forms, like invading and infesting and like just the topics, let alone take take you out of that like sterile mindset and throw you into a completely different view of space. And, and, you know, you had pointed out that this is, you think this is the first time that a sort of a science fiction film is sort of dealing with the the nefariousness of, you know, the corporate venturing in space. Yeah. And And, political undertones. Right. Economical undertones. Because they mentioned like, oh, like they mentioned in the debrief, like LV-426, like, they've like there's colonies living on it now and people are living there and working there to make the air breathable and that it's like their corporation and it's like it's very marketable it it is funny there is that scene in 2000 sigourney weaver had made the comparison between 2001 and 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 this and, and mm-hmm. alien and versus aliens and how clean and pristine but in 2001, don't we see that spaceship as he's traveling? It says Pan Am on the side or something yep. like that. So even in yeah. Kubrick's Kubrick's universe, there is that notion of corporatism following us into space. I I like this universe that was created. I like it too. It's it feels more real. It feels more real when I'm watching like Star Trek, for example. It does not feel real. There's like still this feeling of fantasy and like fantastical vibes but like with alien and the alien franchise like everything's a little more grotesque and a little more following like the rules of science for example it also feels very near it feels like it's a it's a part of our future that's within our grasp Mm -hmm. that it's not two three hundred years away or in a galaxy far far away from a long 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 time ago it feels like it's a space future that's within our grasp because like they're also talking about scientific topics that are topical like finding new life in regard versus like destroying planets and destroying stars you know (laughs) it it feels more tangible a hundred percent it does and it also uh that whole idea of the terraformers like well how are we going to colonize space and how are we going to make money in space unless we can you know if it's mining for resources or using planets for uninhabited planets for other resources how are we going to do that well we got to make them habitable and how do we do that well we i guess we have to create atmosphere so that whole notion of terraformers we're shaping yeah. a world uh, for yeah. us to to exploit its resources feels so prescient and so real and so now. Yeah, totally. So essentially, Ripley finds out 426 has been habited, but they have, like, they lost transmission or they lost contact. Or, yes. Yeah, yeah, they, lose they lost contact and they're like, we don't know what's going on, but we need you back as an advisor um come with us on this mission yeah and she says at first pound sand (laughs) pound sand pound sand oh my god 
she said, I just want to be here with my stupid cat. And that's what it's going to be. <laughs> that was my favorite line. First thing she says when she sees Jonesy, come here, you stupid cat. <laughs> you're, and you, you stupid cat, you're staying yeah. here. You're staying she here. changes her mind, I, I think. Um, Bert comes and talks to her and is like. I think it's the families, though. I think that's what upsets her. I agree. And then also, Burke is like, if you do this, we'll reinstate you as an officer. There's that, too. There is so... that, too. And she got assurance from Burke that they're going to destroy the aliens and not. We're not going to study them, are we? We're not going to yeah. pick them up. Yeah, yeah. Bring them back. Yeah, yeah. So they wake up on ship, the uh, Colonial Marines. What was your uh, impression of the Colonial Marines? I liked them. Um, the way they're written, you can clearly see that they've spent a lot of time together and done missions together. Um, I particularly liked the, oh my God, the salty military general. I forget his name. He, uh, he plays Sergeant Apone. Yes, Apone. Apone. I liked him a lot. A Played... lot of his dialogue was very smartly written. He... Actually, his name is uh, Al Matthews, was the actor that portrayed him. And he was a, a Vietnam veteran. And, and he was able to like help Cameron sort of make, sh make sure the dialogue and the interactions and the things that they would say to each other and the rapport would, would sound and appear more authentic. It's, it feels very, like it feels like I'm watching for that little blip where they're in transit. It feels very like military movie yes yeah which i thought was cool introduce the vasquez who is a baddie yes yes tm trademark copyright jeanette gold jeanette goldstein we're introduced to uh some of the others drake who is you know they're they're both drake and vasquez are carrying these huge huge guns in what front are of them. those guns? Are those like real military guns? Because those are huge. Like I think they're patterned after, um, like, like World War II uh, machine guns, machine gunners. They used wow. to ha travel um, with. There would be someone that was the gunner, but then he would also have somebody with him because it the gun was extremely heavy. I don't know like, what the equivalent. I don't know what the equivalent would be like today in our today's military. They're both carrying these huge guns. Massive, and, like the size of them. Yeah. So Drake and Vasquez, um, you have Hicks, Corporal mm -hmm. Hicks, played yeah. by Michael Bain. And you have, you have Hudson. <laughs> Quit your grinning and drop your linen. And, and uh, Frost and Dietrich. And Spunkmeyer and uh, Wisbaski. Wisbaski, actually, the character Wisbaski, he actually, um, we find out, he he's one of the first Marines to die. Mm -hmm. But in the fandom, Wisbaski is sort of like one of those characters that has has a cult following within the that. alien. <laughs> I love that. Wisbaski. I love that so much. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things about Wisbaski. So you you like the whole the whole bonding scene? I I don't know if I thought it was a little extra this time when I watched. I thought, I thought here's the thing: as soon as they were like in the canteen and like being all ver like vulgar, that's when I thought it was a little extra. 
But yeah, the, I thought it was a little too much. I was like, Arcturian Poontang. Yeah, yeah, I think that was that was a little, a little But too when much. they're waking up, I'm like, this is fun. We're getting to know them. Yes. Yes. For what sure. did you think? What did you think about the like the sort of uh, you know, the nasty like snipes by like the wisecracks by like Hudson? She's someone said alien and she thought she she thought they meant illegal alien, so she signed up. So what did you think about that kind of dialogue it's like could never get away with it today yeah um but i think that's just because the world is a little more pc now moving and talk do you think people are more sensitive now that 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 a comment like that is offensive or are we missing the point uh in this film that in certain environments there is that sort of i'm insulting you because i love you sort of thing does that make Um, any sense uh it's a term it's a way of bonding in some perverse way yeah i know what you're saying um i again i just don't think it would slide nowadays but if you're making that film is it in some settings a perverse form of bonding i guess would be my question i think in some settings yeah and one of those settings would be a masculine dominated macho yeah, like hyper masculine possibly like i know but are we giving are we giving masculinity a bad you know it is no, something not, but it's it is a like a weird form of like young men bonding in a way like- i guess or is it that in certain paramilitary groupings or groupings where aggression is part of the identity mm-hmm. that being harassing it or giving as good as you get from people is part of that hyping up maybe i'm trying to understand I, that I, this I is like a totally different track <laughs> i have i i don't have military experience i don't have friends who went in the military so i don't know if that's actually what it's like but that's kind of how it's portrayed in a lot of films. Hmm. Interesting. So I don't know. I really can't comment on it because like I have no idea if that's actually like something. I I'm a I'm a very effeminate person in my hobbies and You know what it is? I think I think it's just dawning on me that when you are in these groups where aggression is is key to the group's survival or their identity that that kind of razzing or if you want to call it harassment it it's maybe it's expected it's part of the cultural ritual maybe mm-hmm. that's what i'm trying to say yeah but they're Anyways. just kind of a sick distorted little family <laughs> in their own <laughs> way yeah yeah, yeah. these um, colonial marines also to note the fashion of the time period i do like the fact that ripley is wearing a nice little pair of reeboks yeah um that <laughs> moon, made me smile moon, moon boots yeah yep her little reeboks that was cute and there was one other thing in regards to the military sequences when they are um like getting ready to land on 426 and be dropped 
um the military sequences where they're like gearing up and stuff there a lot of it's done in like one single shot which i thought was really cool because um like a lot of military films that are like super popular today they really highlight that aspect and so that it's one fluid continuous one shot. fluid shot because it, it's and a lot of the times like the camera's not on a dolly or anything it's just being held but i thought that was really cool they're prepping for the drop what's the most impressive thing we see before they they do the drop and the drop is actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie um we find out that the lieutenant is not not cracked up Oh, yeah, we do find that out. There's a lot of cool things that happen. Um, How many drops you've been on? 38. Simulated. (laughs) I have have in my notes, why couldn't they find a better lieutenant? (laughs) (laughs) Like, if it had been 57 years since the first movie, this is the guy you have going in on this? Like, there has to be someone more adequate. Yeah yeah i it's a setup though it's it really oh, is kind of set up for failure but it is kind of like there is this mirroring too i think considering this was in 86 there is this mirroring of you know the history coming out of the vietnam war that you had you had soldiers that were being led by um ill-prepared lieutenants in battle over in uh, Vietnam. So there, I think there's some some of that. It's a trope in a way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the uh, commanding officer doesn't know what he's doing or he's too inexperienced. Maybe not doesn't know what he's doing, but he's too inexperienced for the task at hand. Yeah. Um, we've. I love the scene with Bishop. I thought that was really I cool. I love the scene. I really was happy to see bishop as a character mm. just because in the first alien movie android leaving kind of a bad taste in your mouth but yeah. i i i don't know i thought he was a really nice uh accent to the cast you know i love lance Henriksen. i i think he mm-hmm. has this great capability as a character actor to be somewhat to be sort of like the docile sweet bishop like he is here in this film and then he can be sort of like a, a very menacing <laughs> in in other other films. And then he can be very serious and mournful in, oh God, what is the name of that series? I gotta look it up now. I d- but I do like that it's an Android, so you can either go two different ways. Like you can go like very blank slate, not a lot of purpose, or you can go what? it seems like James Cameron seemed to do and make him actually of use and have somewhat of a personality, at least to some degree. Oh, I can't even believe I forgot this. He plays the, he plays the really bad mean father in the horror film Pumpkinhead. He's just oh an gosh. awful, horrible person in Pumpkinhead. Whoa. And, and then he plays uh, Frank Black in Millennium, the uh, X-Files spinoff. And he's very soulful, very serious, um, troubled person in Millennium. And you, you're, I like was so invested in that show because I'm like, oh, God, Frank Black, is he going to be OK? And he loves his family so much. But anyway, but I love Lance Hendrickson, and I, I think he, he did the, the part uh, of Bishop. 
did a really nice job with that. And I wanted to share with you that hand thing. That freaked me out. That the was kitchen. the scariest moment of the movie. 100%. Do you, you want to know, I went to school with someone whose mom used to do that. I, it, I never had it done to me, but it My was a it was a trick that their mom knew and would do whenever like friends would come over to spend the night and or have dinner or whatever they and the mom would do it to to like their friend just to freak their freak no, them out yeah. like, <laughs> like there was always like a couple kids that could do it and it was like a thick it was like a plastic knife like a little like utensil no, she used to use more. a real like knife that's horrible <laughs> like i thought sitting in the schoolroom cafeteria was horrifying that was horrifying and there was like a song that went with it too right i don't know the song i've heard that awful really traumatizing <laughs> like like the end of aliens is is scary there's a lot of carnage but this was horrifying did not enjoy right so My who anxiety was, was through the through roof, the roof. And, uh, and of course, we, you know, Ripley finds out, <laughs> you know, the A23s were always a bit twitchy. He's just so calm through the whole thing. And he, you know, so she, he's not hurt at all that, no. you know, she can't stand uh, artificial person. She's <laughs> no, trauma, I, I, baby, trauma. I, is he queer coded, I wonder, in a way, Bishop? No. You don't think he's queer coded? However, was getting queer vibes from, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting his name. Um, a bone. What's a pone? A pone. You got queer vibes from a queer coding bit. from a pone. How so? Absolutely oh. badasses. Yeah. I thought that Drake, not Drake. Um, you know, everybody thought that Vasquez is, was queer coded, but she really, uh, yeah, I was not getting that vibe at all. Yeah. If anybody's queer coded, it's Ripley. Sorry to break, break it to anybody, but yeah, Mm -hmm. she's definitely queer coded. Even with all the flirting scenes with Hicks still wasn't buying it, you know, and, and and Sigourney Weaver is happily married and has has a family (laughs) that, I mean, not that you can't be if you're now I'm going to have to edit edit myself, but. (laughs) Um, but the, the character Ripley to me is very queer coded. I, I, I could agree with that. Yeah. I could get behind that. But so to Bishop is to me, so I don't know. I no, if Bishop is anything, because he's an Android, he would be on the ace spectrum in my asexual. Opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I or think romantic. So. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I kind of love Bishop. So who's your favorite before we drop them off onto LV426? Who's your favorite Marine going into this? Oh Obviously God, we Vas- have Huh? She's just Vasquez. a body. All right, of the guys. Oh my god. Well, we don't see a lot from Hicks in the beginning. So you know. I don't know if I I think for me it's always been uh, Hudson, even though he's a train yeah. wreck. He's a mess, a complete he's... mess. Like a lovable Mary, mess, you, you are. T- <laughs> it's a t- like it's a lovable mess. Like he's it's... a, he is a lovable mess. Yeah. 
once we get them on the planet, the the script and what happens goes boom, boom, boom. So bad. And then we can we can probably wrap up the events like within 10 minutes and then the rest can be like just sort of discussing the film and any kind of cultural relevancy that you want to attach to so they drop they drop what's your favorite part about the drop <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite um, part i do i don't think i do do you is it the guy sleeping because me is that you are you oh hicks are you hicks I passed out. <laughs> I always love Pharaoh, the pilot. We're in the pike. Yeah. Five by five. <laughs> I love that whole sequence. We're in the pike. Five. Heading for a little chop. She just comes across so like uh just very professional and just no nonsense pilot. Yeah. Yeah. So they drop and they enter through the north gate. Yep. And it's Ripley, Burke, Lieutenant, stay in the ship. Correct. Yeah, yeah. They go to where the uh, they go to the, where the colonists are supposed to be inhabiting. And they are not there. They're not there. There's nobody there. There's uh, what looks to be like a some sort of bulldozer mechanism that's been a little mangled right they see signs of um they see signs of small arms fire yes and i i as many times as i've seen this movie and i've seen it a lot it's the first time i caught that line where they talk about small seismic charges for um survey mm-hmm. surveying and then it dawned on me i'm like oh small arms fire sur- small survey charges this is what the colonists were trying to do to defend them not just block themselves off but they no this is defense defense and maybe like little booby traps and and then we hicks see that in the hull of this giant um structure structure like there's acid on the ground mm-hmm. acid 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 is a, a big theme they find some of their findings include um the aliens from our first movie in yeah. preservation chambers yes face huggers too alive yes which is a little disturbing that disturbed me a little bit yeah. I don't like the sound of that. Yeah. Two that were alive. Mm-hmm. And they also find Newt. Well. Do they find her there? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah they find they, her there. They find a feral child. A feral child. <laughs> I found it, uh, her little uh, hidey hole. It's something else I hadn't picked up because I didn't know I what it was. It was so cute. It's just like the little cans of beans everywhere. <laughs> and also that foil, I think those are Daytrix bars, which are, that is survival food. They're little bricks of concentrated nutrition that, you know, if, if you have a, a bug out bag or something, 
they try to sell sell this stuff so that you'll you know just put them in your backpack or something in case you have to grab your bag and go but yeah there's a go ahead we we sadly find out her family is not with us no longer um including her older brother timmy again who why was that necessary we don't meet this character we don't for a second there though i'm like is that a when they do find that one colonist though later i was that timmy i don't was it i don't think it was i wasn't it was it was a woman okay because dietrich says she yeah yeah she says she and they use she her pronouns right but um the actor looked like kind of androgynous and so i was like is this timmy i i had that this past time watching it i had that reaction too like is that a little boy um i don't think they needed to film that much of uh bishop dissecting that alien that made me a little squeamish but i think it's it's just sort of i think it's necessary but that made me squeamish i think think it's a recall back to alien oh yeah which Anyways, Ripley has a fit about it. Yes, yes. And they they go to find the colonists. Well, they they don't know where the colonists are. Colonists but they are use like a like a radar, and they're able to find. It's like their heat signatures or their. They they're impl- We find out they've been implanted. Oh, they are they're implanted. You're right. Like they're like implanted. what you would do with your dog. <laughs> they're microchipped. They're they're basically microchipped and they're they're locators yes and uh that's that's when um i love that line that bill paxton's been given that that hudson uses as he's going through the plans and he's also trying to use the locator he's like smoking or non like he's (laughs) he's selling airline tickets but then he's like you know stop your grinning and drop your linen i found them and they're under an interesting place yeah they're under the heating the heat exchangers the the whole processors these two huge towers i guess of the the structure yeah where they're actually generating the cold fusion towers where they're actually generating this atmosphere what what did you think about um when i watched aliens there seemed to or alien there was this fluctuation between really cold the cold of space, but also sweatiness <laughs> in some parts of the ship. I will never understand why they are so sweaty because the temperature of space is cold. Yes. That means they must be pumping heat into the structures that they're in. It Well, in alien... I kind of understood it. But it's climate controlled, so why are they so sweaty? I well, there's a lot of scenes in engineering in Alien. So you would think that there would be heat just from the friction of engines, but maybe not. Yeah. I don't I don't know enough about <laughs> astrophysics. <laughs> I don't. Um, but what was cool about the planet though, with the whole terraforming, is that it it looked like basically fighting aliens in the tropics 
It was just like yeah. a rainforest that was a desert. It <laughs> was so const- like 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 tropical, like humid. You could <laughs> sense that yeah. Was humid. Like it- everyone was perspiring. Everything looked stuffy. Even like the lab that Bishop is in, it looks like stuffy. Everybody looks like they're sweating. Just even when they're not sweating. It looks like the start of August in the middle of South Florida and no AC. That's what it looks like. And just lots of running liquid everywhere, which is really unnerving. If you've seen, if you saw Alien, you're like, liquid is always a bad sign. Always a bad sign. (laughs) That's so much liquid. I'm curious to see how much of that liquid is acid and how much of it is like a broken pipe. Because we know that they're in the ventilation systems and the the underground. How much it is of it is their saliva? That's my question. Okay, like, so not acid. So you're wondering if that their saliva, like, is this their waste being like discharged? From, like carnage of this, like the civilians of um, 426. Like you don't well, know. Well, it would have burnt. You would see the burning now. Do you know what I mean? So it would couldn't have been the acid. It was Whatever just the burning. There's a lot of liquid. There's a and lot of liquid, and it's very disturbing. It you is. Think it was like gushing alien, alien saliva. Yeah, because you don't see that in other sci-fi movies. You just see like, oh, laughter, <laughs> boom, you're dead. No, no liquids, no, no bodily functions are referenced. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. The yeah. So uh, they go to to locate the colonists to see if there are any They're survivors like, don't shoot ripley and burke and them in control are like don't shoot because if you shoot it's going to um rupture the heat exchange and rupture and blow up yes a nuclear um, explosion basically so fun so great low stakes honestly and <laughs> As soon as they get down there, they see that there is not just one alien. No, there's there's a good few aliens per the name of the movie. Um, what's what's better than one alien? Two aliens. And a whole sea of aliens. A colony of dollar aliens. dollar sign aliens. Um. And obviously a fight commences. We lose a couple of our, our beloved Marines in the in the wreckage, which is sad. Um oh gosh, who who dies? You've got Oh, okay. So well what happens is Dietrich finds the potential survivor, but they yes. don't know what's going on. It's almost like they didn't pay attention to the briefing at all. Hicks no, they is find like... the survivor, and they're, like, poking and prodding. Uh, survivor wakes up. The survivor says, kill me, and then proceeds to birth one of the aliens, very a la Ripley's nightmare that she had a couple days ago. Right. So Dietrich is actually, I, I, I'm, the designations of each of the, the Marines um kind of fascinates me so dietrich is actually also the medic and it looks like hudson oh. is actually yeah because you do see the the little cross on her gear uh hudson is sort of like uh, a specialist like a tech specialist because he's yeah. he's able to you know get into the computer systems and look up data for them that they need maps that they need yeah i caught that um 
Corporal Hicks is, you know, I don't, I don't, but he's the corporal. So he's, he's just beneath the sergeant, Sergeant Apon. Yeah. Frost, I kind of got the same thing. And then, um, you know, Drake and Drake and uh, Vasquez are the primary gunners. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that Frost and uh, Wisbaski um, were probably cross-trained in other, you know, whether it was demo demolition or something like that, that they were probably cross-trained in something else. And yeah. Spunk Meyer, Spunk Meyer is with the pilot, so co-pilot or so whatever navigator. They are a little screwed. They yeah lose some comms at one point which leads ripley and burke to freak out right um and then is this when they go all rescue mission on them well yeah this is um when i was watching aliens compared to like alien because i know the ripley how alien ended that was a distinct ripley to me me too. And when you when you introduce the whole Newt thing, you are right because it's completely unexpected because they don't leave that part of the script in. Yeah. Um, I didn't notice it at much at the time the first time I saw it. It just and that might be just because Carrie Hen is such a good was such a good little nine year old actor. Yeah. Um, that you felt so much sympathy and you're like, well, of course, how could you not be kind to this this sweet little child that's been that's gone through hell yeah a dirty grubby little so i didn't really think too much of it at the time but the whole time she's up until this point like ripley's just been blown off dismissed been dismissed by this is the first time we see her start to take a more leadership role on this mission oh she takes complete charge she said i am driving this atv yeah in and i am going on an evac mission yeah and that i say girl boss yeah because uh it's interesting she has a connection with hicks right away and Mm -hmm. i take that also to mean they have a connection because it's sort of like they see the experience Mm -hmm. within each other she knows he's not some joke and he knows what he's doing and he's been around the block as far as you know his his experiences with the Marines and he can tell that she's not just, you know, some know nothing that everything that she was telling them. And he's the only one that picks up on all the information that she actually gave on the, on the briefing on the ship. He's the only mm-hmm. one that kind of remembered key things that she was telling them. Everybody else kind of blows her off. So when Gorman panics and doesn't know what to do, she's like, get the hell out of there now. <laughs> yeah. And and then uh, he's like, I don't understand. Why, why aren't they falling back? And she's like, you're cut off your communications. And she knew that right away. So she yeah. takes the uh, the ATV or whatever, the, the vehicle, which is uh, very reminiscent of the vehicle, the landing vehicle, if you've ever played the video game Mass Effect. And, and it looks like it's just about as easy to maneuver which is Mm -hmm. it's not maneuverable at all (laughs) it's horrible and she rams it in there to rescue them and the the only survivors though are who you got vasquez Mm -hmm. hicks oh god you're better with the names than i am vasquez hudson hudson 
picks and we almost we almost saved drake oh yeah but he bites it that was upsetting it was it was i was I, that one hurt a little bit yeah so vasquez's buddy bites it they pull on out of there because ripley's not waiting for anything and they're uh hoping for the drop ship to come and pick them up but that doesn't happen because an alien has boarded the drop ship so by the time they um and and I, what did you think about that act, action sequence oh i thought it was really cool yeah yeah i thought it was really well done i have a beef about like th- what i loved about this crash uh-huh. is he Cameron t- completely got the depth of field correct in this. Whereas at the very end of the film, where the ship is flying into that burning processor, yeah, it was just really bad from yeah. from today's standards. Like you wouldn't. What do you think? I, I I was really upset to see the difference, and I feel like they definitely could have spent more time on it, but. As we've discussed, they were just on a little bit of a little crunch. So maybe uh, that's why. Yeah. Um, James Horner, actually, the gentleman that scored scored aliens by the, the the movie wasn't even done. The script wasn't even done. He was in London. He's supposed to score this and record it. And he only had three weeks to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And it was I recorded less than a month. Yeah, he he recorded it in the, like the last I think I forget which the last battle sequence or something like that was done. It had to be done like the very he only had like 24 hours to do it. It was crazy and then it was he recorded it at Abbey Road Studio with the London Symphony Orchestra. Pressure that guy was under and it wasn't his fault. He was like ready it to wasn't. go. But... Yeah. Anyways, so we find out Alien has boarded their ship and that they're stuck there for 17 days. Yeah, they find out. And These poor that, soldiers. Say, We're not going to make it 17 hours. Haha. <laughs> Hudson says that, yeah. They get a plan in place, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the best they can do is seal off the whole operations center and med lab. So they're going to seal it off. And wait Ripley it out. begins her more girl boss era she's got a gun now knows how to use it yeah hick shows her how to use the i think it's the m40 so you're thinking like okay hundreds of years in the future it's not an m16 or you know whatever it's it's like the m48 or something got a grenade launcher on the end of it okay that's cool little little cylinder grenades that look like m80s these little things yeah you can either deploy them yourself or you can put them in your your uh, weapon of war. We get a scene where we start to see Ripley take on definitely a maternal role to Newt. Right. As she's consoling her. A lot has happened. Ten-year-old's been through kind of a lot of trauma. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Are they in like a, in this scene, are they in like a medical room or a yes it looks like part of the med bay it is part of the med bay i made the i was going to make the case um because i brought this up in the trailer to sam there's really three heroic female characters in in the not that the other female characters like dietrich and pharaoh are not 
but uh, Vasquez, Ripley, but Newt is very heroic in the fact that she's oh, been able to survive yeah. this long. And when that ship crashes, Newt's just doesn't even bat an eye. She's like, look. And she's like helpful too. She's like, <laughs> like listen, got- they they mostly come out at night we so, gotta like, we gotta hustle <laughs> we gotta get the hell out of here guys we can get she knows how to navigate the air vents like that's yeah. extremely helpful information <laughs> just her like, survival her the fact that she survived that long is very heroic her survival for intel she knows Niles knows where every room in the shit in the uh structure is right they get hudson to cool down hudson uh, cools down cools down <laughs> Not a flight risk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They try to seal off the chamber of the ops and med lab. And then an interesting scene happens. Interesting action sequence happens. You were talking about uh, Ripley putting Newt to sleep. This, okay. This is like borderline messed up. Where um, Ripley and Newt are having a little maternal chat. And an alien comes, and they're stuck in what looks to be like a like a containment room, like all right. the glass, all the windows, um, all exposed. They're stuck because the door gets locked, and you see this shot where Ripley and Newt are like banging on the glass, and then we see it from the control room, and freaking. Burke decides, boop, I'm gonna turn you off. Yeah. Messed up. Messed that's up. Messed up. Like very messed up. Like I can understand capitalism and greed getting like blind you a little bit, but that's like this is the well being of a child. First of, of human all. beings. <laughs> of actual breathing human, human beings. beings. Innocent so human beings. A, a child. Like yes. a, like a small child. Yeah. And if, we later find out that he wanted the aliens to impregnate them. And yes. that was how they were going to get the species back to Earth. He's and gonna, that's messed up. That's messed up. Luckily, uh, Ripley thinks on her feet, gets the fire alarm to go off. Hicks Smart. and Hudson and Vasquez, they run to Med Lab. I, I love Hudson. I love Bill Pax in this. Holy, he says, get back, kid. And he blows the uh, <laughs> Vasquez. You know, uh, Hicks is going, open air. You know, throws a thing up in the air. And, of course, Vasquez kills it flying in the air. That was cool. But uh, she explains to them. She's like, no, he was going to get in the dropship with Bishop. We would have been in, in, impregnated with these aliens. And he was going to sabotage your cryo chamber and then and that's when Hudson goes your dog meat pal or no it was hicks hicks was like your dog meat pal dog meat. i love it which tells you how just nefarious burke is that was just horrible it's absolutely horrible that he would do that but it's sort of like you know corporation bad guy real bad guy like real bad guy like i like i was getting bad guy no this is like real bad guy real bad guy and the, the thing that kills me is uh he does this this whole spiel before this happens he does this whole spiel she confronts him she's like burke she's like i saw the memo burke i saw it you sent those colonists to actually go investigate in other words 
when when he met up with her back at that space station, she's in the hospital recuperating. He actually sent the colonists out to look for what she was talking about. Yep. He sent them to their doom, essentially, because that's it's like, up. because that's that's what she couldn't figure out. Is like, wait a second, you have colonists there, like this mm-hmm. many, a hundred, a hundred families, and they've been there twenty years, and nothing's happened. So apparently, the eggs and the alien species can go dormant. I guess a little bit. Yep. So after this, we got a slew of just carnage and alien battles and (laughs) having to complete all these side tasks in order to close off the structure. Um, One of my favorite, favorite, favorite scenes is when they're trying to get to the power supply and they have to go through the air ducts, as Newt has shown. And vasquez this made me sad this made me actually sad yeah it's vasquez and um gorman gorman they have to fight this alien off because they're being chased and they sacrifice themselves with one of the little little bombs little yeah one of the little grenades gorman redeems himself gorman he does uh, Gorman f- comes to because he got knocked out uh, during the during the escape from where the colonists were being cocooned. Yes. And so he oh. finally comes to, and he's sort of like catching up on everything. The aliens break the perimeter. Yeah. And uh, while they're, ch- you know, Burke takes off, of course. The villain takes yeah, off. Yeah, he takes save, off and like save my locks skin. the door. Yeah behind himself so they're stuck yeah ripley and newt are right behind thank god no newt knows every every nook and cranny of that, that facility superman uh hicks is behind them he's so he's covering their tail yeah the last people poor hudson winds up eating it so he buys them yeah. time to escape and the last two people behind are gorman and vasquez and vasquez gorman's actually up ahead of Vasquez. Yes, it's Gorman and then and, and Vasquez he, and he stops. He goes back for Vasquez. Yeah. But it's it's a lost cause and they both know it. Gorman pulls out the the hand grenade and they they blow blow themselves up rather than being taken by the aliens and they take probably a couple of aliens with them. Yeah. Unfortunately, so we fought we fought Ripley and the gang a little time and they have to circumvent something and so they have to go up right like scale like a roof type thing yeah to go up on the roof to get to to where um bishop there's that whole scene where bishop volunteers oh, yeah. to bring down the the drop ship we love bishop we love bishop so bishop's off doing techie tech stuff bringing right. down a drop ship for them to escape I fi- I also looked that up. hundred. I figured it out, and the distance he had to crawl in that tube was just under two football fields long. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I had to. Anyways. Yeah. TLDR. New ends up falling as they're trying to scale this roof. Um, but luckily she's wearing like a, locate. a, a like a locator from right. Ripley and Hicks, so Hicks can track her. 
they're able to find her. She's now in the most ominous pool of water I have ever seen. Right. And it's just like clutching her little doll. But they're able to find her and pull her out. But before they're able to pull her out, she is trapped in there with an alien. That was, in my opinion, the scariest moment. Oh, when the alien comes up, yeah, just when out of the alien comes up behind this little girl. Yeah, the size. That's a it's a great shot too. It, it really dwarfs is dwarfs her, like dwarfs yeah. her. Yeah, like, there's no way to escape. Like, yes, she's like right. she survived this long, but this is like yeesh. the the reason why she falls is because of that explosion between Gorman yes. and Vasquez. Yeah, and um, but Ripley's not going to give up. Cause she promised Newt. She's like, I'm not going to leave you no matter what. I'm not going to leave you. No. And Hicks is like, whatever Ripley wants to do. I'm in hundred percent. Yeah. I'll do it. I got your back. They try to get locator and, and she's just gone. But Ripley this is the first time Ripley's like, no, it's not a lost cause. Cause everything up to this point is once they've been taken by the aliens and are possibly cocooned, there's no point in fighting the inevitable. Mm -hmm. But for Newt, she's willing to go the extra mile. Yeah. Which again, Veronica, you've made a you make a pretty good point. Like, why wouldn't they leave the daughter backstory in there? Because it's it would seem it would to sew so, so up a lot of these. Like, what would be her motivation to like go the extra mile for? Well, she's a little kid. It just it just would have sewed it up. Um. Oh, and a little side note, which is interesting. Uh, Sigourney Weaver's mother actually plays Amanda Ripley in, yeah, in, in Aliens. There, there was a scene that was cut out because she would have played an older person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought that was actually really cool and we didn't, we don't get to see it, I guess. That's really Uh, cool though. It is very cool. So in their escape, they barely escape to get to the ship. Bishop is there and she brings she brings uh Hicks there. Hicks is wounded now because he got assified at, at some point. And uh she goes, Bishop, how much time do we have? He's like, 23 minutes, plenty of time. <laughs> Good, we're not leaving. And he goes, We're not. <laughs> and then there's the armament. I don't know how I feel about this, Veronica. The glorification of the uh, the weapons of war in this day and age. What do you think? I'd be interested in your opinion. Well, I mean, this isn't war, you know. It is, but it's with aliens. Yeah, it, it's a completely different setting, you right. know. Like you're not on a battlefield; you're on a unknown planet, you know. Right. So a nemesis. We like... can all sort of reunite. Yeah, I yeah. feel like um, it wasn't necessarily glorified, but it needed to be highlighted, you know? Right. Just because, like, a stakes need to be established. Good point. Very good point. So, if it was, a, if it was a, like, a military movie, I'd be like, okay. But yeah. now she's I understood not, it. And I have seen this in, like, Reddit and some other, like, posting sites. Just sort of like the... The complaint about like she doesn't know how really how to use firearms and yet she's sort of like the expert at, at all this stuff and oh but she knows how to do this and ripley knows how to do that 
she her her rank in alien is warrant officer and usually that is a rank given to um pilots it's the highest ranking you can get and not be enlisted in other words you're not like in the navy you're not a chief right and you're gotcha. not um but you're also not higher than an ensign like let's say in the navy which is the lowest commissioned rank gotcha a warrant officer is given their their rank and their billet because of a special skill or ability and quite frequently in our modern military today it's pilots mm -hmm. so she starts as a pilot and and the whole thing about warrant officers is uh even if she wasn't a pilot you have to have like the criteria is you have to have had a, an extended period of service and uh like something like 10 or 12 years before you can even qualify to be sent to uh, to be considered a candidate for warrant for being a warrant officer and you can't have served basically out your, your entire career so they're they're trying to get people that's that are highly skilled and that have a substantial amount of experience behind them. Ripley knows a lot by yeah. now. She knows what she's doing. I think understanding how to, if she can run a loader, she can certainly master these these firearms. Hundred um, percent. Plus, she has like the, the will to. I love a good montage, and I love when it's a strong, independent woman. Mm -hmm. So when she's getting suited up and going down that shaft, I'm like, yes, I am here for this. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's one of my favorite scenes. And, and I, the score is really good. It's very like it's militant, but it also has like um, like some beautiful orchestration moments. And right. I, just, I was eating it up like popcorn. Yeah. And it's like um, there's that like psyching yourself up yeah. because it's that whole idea of like in her mind. I'm sure she's thinking failure's not an option here. One, I don't want to die. I don't want Newt to die. We're not going to blow up. So I just need to put myself in a mindset where failure is not an option. I am going to get there. I'm going to get Newt and we're going to get on that ship and we're getting the hell out of here. She's not even thinking about failure at that point. Nope. She finds a locator, but no Newt. But mm -hmm. thankfully, thankfully, just as a facehugger is about to get on Newt's face, Newt cries out, and and uh, Ripley is there not a moment too soon. Uh, Ripley is going into battle against the Queen Alien. Well, we we get a full picture of the Queen, and we don't have to get into exactly you know what happens from here on out. A lot has happened and it is sort of like a roller coaster ride and that's how cameron envisioned it oh yeah if uh alien was going to be the haunted house in space he wanted a roller coaster ride this is like the part of the haunted house at the very end where the guy with the chainsaw is like, chasing at you chasing you in the cornfield chasing you <laughs> yeah i would say i that's a pretty apropos analogy <laughs> <laughs> I never asked you if you saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No. You never saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Mm -mm. That is a film that Sam and I need to do. Probably, maybe we'll save that for uh, October. Because so we did... Gore. Oh. It, <laughs> no, it's just, it's just horrible. 
I it's it's a horrible horrible film <laughs> just <laughs> scream inducing movie when I saw it with Sam and we saw it at a, at a at, as a midnight movie oh my god it's no. um yeah an indelible memory a core memory just like uh seeing this film was a core memory this film was really important to me when it came out really yeah i think it really left an impression on me um and i don't know how when you saw it like what was your reaction because of when it was made and the fads at the time and the technology that it was made, it definitely didn't leave like a very big lasting impression on me. Okay. But I could absolutely respect it for what it is. I think for me, Alien actually had probably more impact just because there's there's something somber about Alien. That's what I'm saying. Like there's this like very sad undertone not sad but just like dark dark very dark undertone like like a dark undertone that this film just doesn't have right and at first i was thinking as i'm watching it i'm like maybe it's the stakes like i don't maybe like i don't feel like the stakes are high enough but i just think like in general like alien had such an isolating aspect to it that this film just doesn't have for me what it had though was sort of like this realization of the first real life fully fleshed out realized female action hero oh yeah on the big screen because maybe brigitte nielsen in red sonia which i Uh think let me check the date on that that might have come out before this film. It's definitely the first big heroine we've seen in sci-fi. Like, by far. Specifically sci-fi. Oh, yeah. I don't think we see see a woman as an action hero on this level. Mm-mm. With this degree of so- full seriousness. And the scale, the scale is so big in comparison to a lot of films. Right. Red Sonja came out in 85. So it would have been a year before with Brigitte Nielsen. With Brigitte Nielsen. But I think a lot of people went and saw that movie because Arnold Schwarzenegger was her co-star. And it was almost like, even though he's not playing Conan, he's sort of a Conan type character. Gotcha. And by then the Conan films were pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Conan and then and then Terminator and then he becomes a huge, huge, huge movie star. Huge movie star. I love Ripley because she's smart, she's competent, she is fearless, tenacious. She's sort of like this complete embodiment of <laughs> at least maybe for James Cameron, the perfect woman. <laughs> She's very, one thing I like about her is she's very sure of herself. Because I feel like with a lot of heroines, there's just like this underlying tone of insecurity that she just doesn't have, which I love. I love mm-hmm. that. The self-confidence. Yeah. Like, there's no bro. doubt. There's no doubt. Yeah, there's no, no doubt. doubt. There's no doubt. It's just do. 
Fox did not initially think that a sequel would do well. And one of the reasons why was because they didn't think that a Sigourney Weaver or a, a Ripley driven film where the, the main protagonist is a female and it's in an action film would be a successful boss box office draw, which uh, in the making of, I think aliens, mm-hmm. I forget who commented, but it said up to that point, Fox had done films like, and I'll just read them off here. Um, and I'll start off with this film, Mother Jugs and Speed, which was in 19, 1976, which had to do with um, ambulances in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And some people may laugh, but Raquel Welch, even though she was sort of eye candy in that film, she <laughs> portrays a woman who is trying to break into a male dominated profession, which were, mm-hmm. you know, EMTs and paramedics. And she, she's stuck behind a desk in the beginning of the film but she presses and presses and presses the owner of the ambulance company. No, give me a chance. I passed my EMT. I, I, I passed my driving course. I can do this job. And she does, you know, that that's one of the side stories in it. Star Wars in 1977, another Fox production. We have princess Leah. She's strong. She's capable. She's, you know, saving her people. She's saving the, you know, the universe. We have another film, 1977, Julia, starring, uh, which which is a great film, a great woman's, it's a quote unquote women's film. It's not just a great woman's film, it's a, it's a great story. Jane Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave. There were other movies like The Turning Point, starring Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft, two very strong female characters. And these were successful, critically, the films I'm listing were not just critically successful but they were also successful at the box office so fox was on to something yeah and supporting something and and that they would balk kind of uh now there was some change in studio leadership but they but they they would balk at this is, is i just find very very funny it just feels like maybe one step forward two steps back sometimes especially especially now this movie was made in 1986. In some ways, I feel like what just day to day, we read something in the news, which almost seems to nullify any kind of progress that's been made. Well, Roe v. Wade right now and like stuff involving like limitations on what women and other minorities can and can't do. But when it comes to media, there's a lot of not even small victories, but victories that should be celebrated. Like look at Mindy Kaling. She started her career as just what was supposed to be just a guest role on The Office. And she over time has become one of the most successful directors and producers and writers. Like her shows have won Emmys, you know? Yes. And I just feel like if those stories were highlighted more, maybe society would have a change of heart about certain things. I see it differently. I see it like we're we're living in two different worlds. 
I feel like reality is the reality is is that women are strong women are capable women are competent can be decisive cool-headed resilient powerful all these things they they are downright heroic and that's kind of like the message like i i give a lot of credit to cameron really not ripley's great but then i started really thinking about newt here's this little girl and the resilience and the strength yeah. of this little girl and just how strong and powerful a message and smart and smart so, and i think that's it reflects the truth that is it is and what bothers me i think today is that there seems to be this argument that is just in as much as the that the earth is flat is a lie in as much as you know that that tfg didn't lose an election in as much as uh uh it, it it's they're perpetuating lies and that the majority of human beings on planet earth know that they're just spewing lies yeah they're just spewing lies and i think that's that's what confounds me is that we know these things that are being spewed out there by and i still argue a very very small portion of the population and the the only reason why they're spewing them is that it's self completely self-serving completely self-serving but but they're lies we know that they're lies now and i just feel like a big part of it is entitlement like i feel like a lot of these people who are self-serving feel like they're entitled to do this Mm. whether that be because of what they've gone through as a generation or as like a like a society but they feel entitled completely entitled to do this and so i think we as a society need to take a step back and go are we entitled for this or do we just want it meaning that they feel they're entitled to it or they just want it that way they want things to persist that way yep I think it's the latter, Veronica. No, it is. Well, it is. If we all just took a moment to reflect on that, think of how much we could just like. How much we could. Change. The, oh, that really, it's not about even your sense of entitlement. It's the fact that you, why don't you just own your own bullshit, which is you mm-hmm. want things to be this way. Yeah. But it's that it's like that line, one of the best lines in the, you know, I brought up the film, uh, the HBO film, If These Walls Could Talk One, which was about abortion, by the way, and very well done. And I think there you can actually watch that on YouTube, the whole thing. Um, But they also did a These Walls Could Talk Two that focused on um, lesbian relationships. The last couple, you know, because it's a trilogy of stories. Mm-hmm. The last couple, one played by Sharon Stone and the other one uh, played by Ellen DeGeneres is um, 
you know, they're having trouble figuring out how to uh, become parents because mm-hmm. of the obstacles that are in place. Ellen DeGeneres' character looks at Sharon Stone. And she goes, well, you know what? Things change. Whether people want them to, or whether some people want them to or not, change happens. Change is inevitable. Change is inevitable and, and change nurtured. is good. Yes. Although why it is good might not be apparent once it happens. Well, anyways, <laughs> it's frustrating. And, you know, Sam's not here right now. Sam's fine, by the way. Um, and luckily, Sam's AC got fixed. Mine has not been repaired, which would explain my borderline insanity. Uh, yeah, don't know. Um, our this past week broken at our house for over a week now. Yeah, we are. You remember Al Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon? That's me. <laughs> That's me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I am. Shake down a savings and loan. <laughs> I am comfortably in my For my translator. But if you, um, if you feel in some sympathy for Beth, um, go leave a <laughs> review. That'd be great. Yeah, we are on uh, we're on Pudpod on Instagram, Celluloid Pudding or Celluloid Puddin on Twitter, which I haven't posted up on Twitter in a while. That's my fault. And you can email us at celluloidpudding at gmail.com. Email suggestions for movies. They're always looking for a good movie to do. Yes. And also, uh, Back to what I was saying with Sam is like, uh, there's a frustration, I think, in watching this film and understanding like some of the most fantastic things that that women have been able to achieve. The way we have continuously proven ourselves in so many facets of life. And for this, it's so incongruous to say that no matter how capable, how intelligent, how skillful, how good you are, we are still going to infantilize you that we've come so far and that people would want to negate all that. Any other last comments about the film before we get into what are you watching? Um, I enjoyed it. It was very, it was a fun watch. Yeah. Um, there are some 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 jump scary moments, so you're left you're left hanging. Um, I thought all of the actors and actresses did stellar performances, um, and yeah, I, it makes sense that this was like the 1986 blockbuster. Yeah, it deserves that title. By a, sum, a summer blockbuster. Um, we're recording this on July 14th, which is the anniversary, the 36 year anniversary of its release and i would highly recommend that you don't watch three aliens aliens three okay yeah so after this movie it just starts three is just bad in my opinion it's not good right and then you start entering the whole alien versus predator which is just one big old marketing campaign I happen to like, oh, Galen Hurd actually was the exec producer. She just knows how to go make money. Um, it made which, a lot of money, which, but. Which I don't hate. I admire it's, that. It's, girl, girl, bash your way up that ladder. Absolutely. Yes. By all means. Um, but 
the alien versus predator thing just leave it like don't i did not watch i i started prometheus i still have not finished it so i need to go back to that i will say this about four there, there were people in four that I like. I love Winona Ryder. Um, I oh, forget the actor that that played with the the space thieves or whatever. They, are. they get on, they get on that that uh, research facility where they're trying to clone Ripley and the alien, and um, and they, it's like they're they want to steal everything that's not tied down. Um, so I did like that. There were some things about Alien Four that I liked. I liked the storyline. It was intriguing. They didn't pull it off though, um, mm-hmm. and I also like the underwater pursuit scene, alien pursuit scenes. That I thought that was, was, yeah. I have seen clips of that. That is really cool. It that is very really cool. It is very cool. It's, I think the concepts were fascinating in four, just didn't execute it uh, that well. I don't think so. And I feel like that's a big thing with a lot of sci-fi. It's just like, if you're that high concept, you need to make sure that your actual script can hold up to it. That's excellent point. That's a really good point. This is where we ask, what are you watching? What are you watching, Veronica? Oh my gosh. What what am I not watching? Well, (laughs) in terms of freshly consumed media, I just finished Stranger Things season four amazing i am very upset sadie sink the girl who plays max did not get an emmy nomination when she gave an extremely stellar performance if you have not watched it get on the bandwagon it's the hype is absolutely well deserved as a gen xer i have to say i really love the fact that you all are discovering kate bush yes we love kate bush we love running up that hill yeah she is a, um, a musical genius pioneer um yeah man she's go down that rabbit hole very satisfying also watching the new season of the umbrella academy i will not shut up about it i have been talking to my best friend david about it for weeks it is just they introduced a lot of new characters and a lot of new actors and they did it very effortlessly and it is just it's very compelling and a lot of plot points are filled and you see the characters like the og characters grow a lot like luther's storyline takes a complete 180 really excellent um everyone is now like because with the prior seasons like some of the characters weren't like palatable Mm. but they've become palatable like it which is really cool that's just i like i like when a show uh really shows growth in their writing um that the right the writing room is really kind of growing with the show which is very exciting and usually it takes by i've always had this theory that really great shows sometimes take till the third season before everything sort of just sort of uh coalesces you know great example of that walking dead yeah yeah three seasons one and two there are moments where it it drags it -hmm. drags hard but the second you're in season three from seasons three to like six or seven it is just excellence the writing the cinematography the chemistry between the characters is perfect it's perfect i 
saw a movie recently and oh. I can't remember. <laughs> describe it. I'll give you the name. Oh, wait a minute. Did we go see, did we see Jurassic together? Yeah, we saw Jurassic World. Oh, wait. I already mentioned that we saw Jurassic World, but I think sure. I saw another movie that I had not, like I streamed another movie and now I feel New? like. A, and recent and for some reason i'm having a brain fart and can't remember what it was describe it <laughs> give me a character well lately i've been so distracted by really just the horrible news <laughs> oh my gosh. yeah and and uh and heat and heat veronica i've been distracted by my brain melting a, a concept it was about oh god i'm really drawing a blank but i know i watched something recently was it a was it a documentary? Um, also, for for the listeners, I also just did rewatch um, Tick Tick Boom for the twenty yeah. something time. Um, it's just so good. It's amazing. It's, it's such a good story. Andrew Gar Music's Andrew amazing. Garfield's a huge huge fan of ours. Andrew Garfield is the best. If you the, the one and only commentary want, on iTunes was email, email celluloid pudding podcast if you want them to do a month of musicals. I think that's a great idea. I think that's the best idea I've ever had. Actually, I think about that myself. <laughs> is that celluloid pudding should do a month of musicals? Well, we Musical wanted to do month? some music themed themed movies, so we'll see. You could get some oldies. You could get some golden age. You could get some some moderns. A lot of pro shops. Oh, have been... I would love to see some tap dancing. Yes. Oh my God. Get some funny. What face. did I see? I'm having such a hard Maybe time. Throw in the original Rent. It would be everything. I'd listen, and you should too. And leave a review. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Veronica. Thank you so much for stepping in tonight. I really, really appreciate it. We both do. Sam and I both really appreciate it. So welcome to the both of you. So as we say, as we always recommend, watch something different, read something new, step out of your comfort zone. Anything you want to add? Peace Star and child. love. Peace and love. I like that. Peace and love, man. And kindness and empathy and all that good stuff. And just don't be a jerk, honestly. Good night.